Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. week on the Garden DC podcast, I'm joined by Erica Smith. She is a Montgomery County master gardener and an author of the Maryland Grows blog and many of the book reviews that you read in Washington Gardener magazine. Welcome, Erica. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Great to have you finally on the podcast. It's great to be here. Nice to hear your voice. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's been so long since in person. So we're here mainly to talk about don't give up is what we're going to call this episode, right? So this is for all the beginning gardeners, especially vegetable gardeners out there, and also those who've maybe gardened in the past and restarted or that have been gardening for years and they're just not having a good time maybe, right? That's right. Yes. This time of year um, when it's just been so hot and muggy and rainy and there's so many bugs and weeds and everything, um, it's very easy to want to give up. Mm -hmm. So let's talk first a little bit about how you started your journey in vegetable gardening. Were you out there as a toddler pulling weeds happily or was it drudgery for you back then? You know, I don't really remember back that far, but the um, the vegetable gardening that I remember very clearly uh, was when I was an older kid. Um, we lived in uh, Baltimore County out in the country, and the house that we lived in um, had about a half acre horse paddock in the front. And since we didn't have horses, my uh, parents decided to rent it out. So it came with a stable and there were horses living in our front yard for a while. Um, and then eventually that kind of stopped working very well. And so um, they asked the, the horse owners to take the horses away. But guess what we were left with? We were left with um, some wonderful fertilizer in that area. So at that point, uh, we moved to the vegetable garden. It had been outside the kitchen door. We moved it down into the horse paddock. And um, boy, the plants grew so well. So I do remember, um, you know, pulling weeds and picking tomatoes and picking corn and all of that from that period of time. Um, that was uh, that was a wonderful garden. And then um, I didn't garden again uh, till I was in my twenties. And there was a point when my husband and I were living in a uh, apartment in a row house near DuPont Circle. And there was a, a spot of earth out in front of the building. It was pretty small. It was maybe about three by six. But uh, there was nothing growing there. So we asked the landlord, uh, could we possibly grow something in this space? And um, he said, sure. So we planted a vegetable garden. We had tomatoes, we had okra, we had sunflowers, we had everything we could squeeze into this little space. And, and we were ma managed to harvest, you know, something out of it. 
And then we got to the um, end of the season and we took out the plants and the landlord rushed in there and planted a boring little shrub because I don't think he was anticipating. Um, it, it wasn't the tidiest vegetable garden, so I don't think it um, met his, his specifications for um, the look of the property. Um, and then we had um, the next place we lived, we had some plants on our balcony. Uh, and then uh, 33 years ago now, we moved to Germantown, where we live now. And um, we had several vegetable gardens in different places around our property uh, until we settled on a, a spot in the backyard. And uh, we had that all set up. It was a nice garden with raised beds and a deer fence and drip irrigation. And then after you know about 10 years growing there, I realized that it was getting kind of shady, uh, like the trees had grown. How dare they? <laughs> um, and so the, um, the, the garden was about half in shade. Um, but luckily at that point, I was able to get a plot at one of the uh, Montgomery Parks community gardens, uh, the South Germantown Community Garden. And so that's where I grow most of my vegetables now. And Kathy, I know that you're a community gardener too. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's it's got its pluses and minuses, but boy, you can't beat a full sun plot and just um, having the, uh, the the water there in the cistern and the, um, the mulch that's delivered so you can put it on your paths. Um, and so I, I've been pretty successful growing in that space. It's 400 square feet. So it's kind of, you know, a, a modest sized garden, but uh, definitely big enough for my needs. Um, mm -hmm. And then some of the other growing I've been able to do is not in my own personal property, but through Montgomery County Master Gardeners. Um, one of the first places that I volunteered with Master Gardeners was in the Durwood Demonstration Garden which is near the extension headquarters uh, in uh, Durwood in Montgomery County. And um, that, that is um, a, a beautiful spot that I have thoroughly enjoyed growing in. And I ended up running the vegetable beds there for 10 years. Um, it, I have now passed that job on to some other um, very accomplished people. Uh, but it was uh, tremendous fun to have the space to try out some new crops and do some experimentation and to just show off to the public what could be grown in Montgomery County. That's really one of my favorite things about being a master gardener is when we have our open houses and we get to um, invite people to come and look at the garden and have conversations in the garden. And you hear from people who move to Montgomery County from all over the world um, and they, you know, say where I came from, we grew this and look, you're growing something similar. Um, or, you know, they ask questions, how can I make this work for me? And we're able to talk them through it. So that's what I really love about being a master gardener is that, um, that, that teaching part where, um, I can, you know, what, what knowledge I have, I'm, I'm probably not the best vegetable gardener in the world, but I love talking about it. So I can, <laughs> um, I can, um, I can share that knowledge with, with people and it's, it's really fun. Hmm. And that enthusiasm does count for a lot. Yes. 
yes. and, and passion. I think that um, what I end up being uh, quite often is just kind of a cheerleader. The the yes, yes, you can do this <laughs> aspect. <laughs> yeah, and I always think of it as like almost proselytizing to get people to grow things. Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> and that's how I feel like I am like the preacher of okra. I'm like, if you're not growing okra or garlic, that's the other big thing that I'm always pushing is like one of those two I'm going to get you to plant this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love growing both okra and garlic, yes. Mm-hmm. And so just to clarify for some of our listeners that we're talking about Montgomery County, Maryland, because there is a Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, not too far away. And also that could be confusing because Germantown, Maryland and Germantown, Pennsylvania. That's that's right. Yeah. People do get confused about that quite often. Yes. There's a Montgomery County in um, many, many states. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. And most of our listeners are in the Mid-Atlantic area, but for those outside the Mid-Atlantic and outside the United States, we're talking about mainly Zone 6-7, and basically from New York State down through North Carolina is what we focus most of Garden DC on, but we welcome, of course, listeners from all over the world, especially those trying to learn about gardening and those even trying to learn English, so if you ever need clarification on vocabulary or words, you know, feel free to email me or catch me on social media. And I'm sure Erica is the same. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes we end up using words um, because we use them so often and we forget sometimes that not everybody knows what those words mean. <laughs> yeah. And different applications and pronunciations too. So sometimes we, we have different vocabulary for different things. So going back to the demonstration garden for Master Gardeners that you host in Durwood, Maryland, that is open to the public at all times or just at specific times? That is open to the public at any time. It's, it's in a park. It's in the Agricultural History Farm Park. So anytime that the park is open, which is, you know, sunrise to sunset, basically, um, then you can come and visit the garden. Um, and I will say that, you know, we did have a bit of a setback during uh, COVID. We were not allowed to work in the garden for quite a while. So last year, anybody who visited um, was um, able to visit a sea of weeds. It was uh, pretty amazingly weedy. Um, it's very fertile <laughs> soil, and the weeds took advantage of that. Um, but we have put in a lot of work since then, and I would say that it doesn't look quite the same as it usually does, but um, it's, um, there's a big improvement. (laughs) Let's put it that way. And that was probably a good experience also to be able to tell people how to recover from a year um, uh, where your garden might go fallow or be weedy because, you know, life happens. You Uh have a baby, you break a leg or you have to be transferred for work and you come back and then you come back to a weed patch. Um, right. So that transition is, is a good teaching lesson. Yes. And it's, it's good if you um, can anticipate that. Like if you know you're going to be transferred for work, um, there are things that you could do ahead of time. Um, so that your garden wouldn't be out of control. It's a little more difficult if, as you say, you break a leg and then you just can't get out there for a while. That um, that could be quite difficult. But um, if you can um, just cut the garden down to the ground and maybe put some black plastic over the whole thing, that's a good way to keep the weeds down. 
during that period of time when you know that you're not going to be able to work in your garden. So that's, that's, the, that's the emergency response. And that's pretty much what we did at Derwood. <laughs> Once we cut the weeds down, we put black plastic down on the beds. And um, that, it worked very well. We didn't um, have nearly as many weeds when we came back in the spring. Good to know. And did you have a lot of perennial things like, say, asparagus or horseradish that you also cut back all the way? And I imagine you didn't cover that with black plastic. Uh, no. So in the in the vegetable garden, much of what we were growing was annuals. But of course, the uh, Derwood demonstration garden is not just vegetables. Um, it covers all aspects of gardening. So, for example, we have a big butterfly garden, and most of that is perennials. So uh, they were able to come in and try to cut back the weeds that had grown. But, of course, they couldn't do the black plastic treatment. Uh, so they're still fighting the weeds down in the butterfly garden. I can imagine. Uh, yeah, just even going away for a couple of weeks and what happens to your garden. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Try going away for, for like six months. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. So turning to our topic of don't give up, what is the first thing that you think a beginning gardener might throw their hands up and walk away? What is the first thing that usually discourages people? Well, I think it's not just one thing. It's generally, um, I mean, you know, gardens are, are you know, living spaces mm -hmm. and things are happening um, uh, um many different things are happening at once. So you're going to have uh, the growth of weeds, you're going to have the bugs coming in, uh, you're probably going to have some plant diseases. Uh, so all of that together, uh, if you, particularly if you're not in your garden every day to see the development of all this happening, um, it, it can be pretty discouraging um, if you come back after a while and realize that, um, you know, the weeds are waist high and all your plants seem to be eaten by bugs. Um, so that's, um, that's pretty alarming. Um, and I completely understand that people um, want to give up at that, at that point, that they look at this and say, oh, I wasn't meant to be a gardener. I can't do this. Um, and um, I firmly believe that there's no such thing as um, green thumbs and black thumbs. I think that what there is is um, lack of information. And if you have um, the right information, you can grow anything, really. Um, we all have things that we prefer to, to grow, but mm -hmm. um, I think everybody is, is capable with the right information of, of having um, a garden that includes whatever, whatever it is that they want to grow. Um, so there, there are certain things that I say to beginning gardeners um, over, I find myself saying them over and over again. Um, and I think the first thing is um, to start small. Uh, people still have this image in their minds, I think, of a vegetable garden that, um, you know, is like a mini farm that you're, you know, digging up your entire backyard and hmm. planting crops um, that you're going to try to feed your family just out of your vegetable garden and so forth. And when you have a, a big garden like that, but you don't have a strategy for uh, gardening in it, you haven't learned the routines of gardening yet, then uh, it can very easily get out of control. 
So I suggest to people that if they're interested in growing edible plants, that's wonderful. And what they should do is start with maybe a couple of raised beds or a group of containers on their deck, something like that, um, just to try it out and to see what, um, what it's like uh, and what, um, you know, what potential problems there might be and then how you solve those problems. And then you can gradually build it so it gets bigger and bigger. Um, and, you know, if you have already plowed up your entire backyard, um, <laughs> <laughs> which a lot of people do when they're starting, um, and then they realize that it's, that it's too much. Um, first of all, the great thing about growing vegetables is that most of them are annuals. So if your garden is out of control this year, you can cut everything down to the ground and then you're just going to start over next year. Uh, and, um, you know, nobody will ever know. Um, and if you already have all this space, um, there is no law saying that you have to grow something in all of that space. Uh, you can uh, cover part of it next year. Um, you can do the black plastic treatments um, or you can just put a thick layer of mulch down on top of it, um, nice organic mulch that'll break down and improve your soil over time. Um, uh, you could grow something that covers a lot of ground, like uh, plant some pumpkins or some sweet potatoes, something where the vines will reach out and um, cover a lot of ground and suppress the weeds. And then um, the rest of the garden um, you can cultivate um, more uh, more intensely, but um, covering part of uh, part of your garden is a, is a good way to um, uh, to make the work less as as you go on. And how about sharing of duties? So when you start small and say you got one of the uh, county plots, or you, your friend lent you the space in their garden to have a vegetable plot and it was 10 by 20 or so um, I would say maybe partner with another gardener maybe somebody who's more experienced just to start off and mm -hmm. and share and maybe kind of uh, apprentice mentor with them but also um, the one great benefit of being in a community garden in particular is you get to watch what your neighbors are doing so, yes. <laughs> uh, so when they start to clear their plot and start to plant lettuces, you know it's time to start to your lettuces. When they start to plant the tomatoes, then you know. So there's a lot of that type of cross reference and learning from each other. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. There, there's always somebody um, in in a community garden who is extra experienced. Um, and if you're growing in your own backyard, there's probably somebody in your neighborhood who's got some gardening experience and um, maybe they will stop by and give you some pointers. Um, and if you don't have that, well, you can ask the master gardeners and uh, we'll be happy to give you some advice. And I was going to say that taking on too much at once that feeling of overwhelm is really crippling not just for the beginner gardener <laughs> that can be at the beginning of every growing season when you're faced with all the choices that you could possibly grow and then figuring out what you actually want to grow so how do you approach that planning time erica well, uh, I would say that um, for me, say I've been growing enough years that um, 
it becomes like a reflex in a way. I mean, I'm always looking through the seed catalogs in the winter and saying, ooh, that looks good. Ooh, that looks good. Um, but then um, I do have a mental picture of how much space I actually have to plant in. And I can um, dial my expectations down uh, to um, what will actually fit. Um, but you, you have to develop that sense over time. So um, just making a map on a piece of graph paper um, of what space you actually have, and then um, you know, plopping down your, your circles of, OK, this is how much space a tomato plant is going to take up. Um, and this is how much space um, I need for my squash plants and so forth. Um, that's, that's a very good way to proceed. And, you know, that's also something that you can, uh, you can find that out um, um, through um, gardening books, um, through asking experts, um, through um, there are many sites on the internet that will give you that information, just how much space something's going to take up. Um, there are also programs that you can um, that you can download or you can uh, work through online that will um, help you map out a garden. Uh, mm -hmm. So that that's a, that is a good way to get started. But I think we all go through that. Um, uh, I'm still sometimes starting. I start a lot of plants from seed, and I often have more plants than I actually have room for once I get to my garden. I have to speak very severely to myself and say, no, you do not have room for 12 tomato plants. You only have room for eight tomato plants. What are you thinking? Exactly. Yeah, we can get, you know, eyes bigger than our stomach also applies to gardening. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So we want to grow all the kinds of tomatoes or all the kinds of peppers, or we want to have, you know, enough lettuce in succession that we never have to go and buy a salad again, right? So <laughs> that's why right. I think you get a little overambitious and overwhelmed. So that's definitely the principle of start small, start with yes. just a couple kinds uh, and then add to it each year and um, maybe partner again with somebody else to say, I'm going to grow all the cherry tomatoes and you're going to grow all the, the big t salad or, or sandwich right. type tomatoes um, to divide and share with each other. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Um, or different kinds of vegetables that can also be good if, for example, you have a problem with a particular plant disease or a bug or something during the course of the growing season. Um, and you may say, well, I don't really want to try growing that plant again, but maybe I could ask one of my friends to grow it. And then I could grow the thing that they're having a problem with. Um, and that way you share the duties. And sometimes if you skip a year in a particular vegetable crop, then the bug that's attacking that crop will actually give up and go somewhere else. Um, so you might be able to vanquish them that way. That's a good point because I know one of the plants that is really tough for even experienced gardeners to grow well is eggplant in our area yes. uh, just because of the bugs. And especially in a community garden, once, uh -huh. one, once one plot gets it and the infestation, they seem to go, the flea beetles, from one plot to the other and just denude the um, eggplants. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I don't grow eggplants in my community garden. I've actually found a solution to the eggplant problem that works for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's going to work for everybody, but um, flea beetles, I mean, they can, they attack the young 
eggplants and they just eat through the leaves and will kill the plant um, in no time flat. And, um, but flea beetles live in the soil. Um, and so what I've been doing is growing my eggplants in containers and I grow them on my deck, which is about five feet off the ground. And they are not attacked by flea beetles at all. Um, so that's, that's the solution that's been working for me. Um, and if, um, so if, if anybody has a spot that is up off the ground where they can put mm -hmm. a container, um, even if it's, you know, putting it on top of a picnic table or something like that, um, that might be a solution uh, against the, uh, the flea beetles. Um, aside from that, I can say using floating row cover over the seedlings does help. It helps the eggplants survive long enough that um, they might be able to produce some eggplants. Yeah, that's the trick I used last year was floating row, row cover all season long. So it looked like a little teepee of yep. ghosts, you know, yep. <laughs> and, and also planting later. That was my other mm -hmm. trick was planting mid-June instead yeah. of mid-May. So the first onslaught, at least, of the flea beetles was passed by. Um, but yeah, I still did it in the community garden plot this year just because, again, that's where all my full sun access is. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. The planting late trick works um, against a, a lot of pests. Um, at least it makes a difference. Um, uh, squash is another plant where if you can wait until mid-June to plant it, uh, you might not have quite so many problems with um, insect pests. Yeah, it seems like the squash vine borer, you know, will get the first set, but mm -hmm. won't get the second set. And you right. could even maybe, uh, there's a concept of the trap crop, where you plant something deliberately to be infested by the bugs, while you want the good plants to be ignored. Right, yes. The one trick with trap crops is that you have to remember um, what you're doing with the trap crop, <laughs> um, so that when it is infested, with the the bugs that you're trying to trap um, you need to go in there and um, kill all of those bugs one way or another and sometimes the best way to do that is just to take an enormous um, uh, garbage bag and just quickly put the entire plant into the garbage bag and seal it up and then if you leave it out in the sun um, then that will kill all the bugs inside and of course the plant will become mush but um, after that you can put it in the compost I was going to say, and then there's more protein for the compost pile. Yes, right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Insect protein. Yes. So one of the factors that I noticed in my community garden, why a lot of beginner gardeners kind of give up mid-season is our Washington, D.C. area heat and humidity. Yes. So it's just that they can't take coming out to the garden. They might work from home nine to five or have school or, or other things that keep them away during the week. And then the weekend is just, they can't face it, you know, right. being out there in the hot sun. So what are some, some of the ways you can combat that? Well, um, the problem that happens if you can't get there often, I mean, there, there are several things that you should be doing in a garden on a regular basis. One of them is harvesting. And I don't think harvesting takes a whole lot of time. So if you can get to the garden long enough to, to harvest uh, your vegetables, then um, you can keep up with that. Um, but the other uh, big problem is going to be the weeds. And um, that leads me to the second of my um, mantras for um, beginning gardeners, which is cover the soil. 
Um, it's very important not to leave bare soil in the garden because first of all, that's just an invitation to weeds. Um, if you have bare soil, weeds are going to grow in it. And it also um, will, uh, the, the plants will need more watering if the soil is bare um, because it's going to dry out. Um, so if you can put um, a layer of mulch down around your plants, um, and um, that will keep the, help keep the weeds down, and it will keep the uh, soil moisture levels even, and the soil temperature levels even too, because it's not good for plants when uh, the soil gets really hot, and then maybe it cools off again, and then it gets really hot again. Um, that's very stressful for the plants. Um, and so is not getting enough water. So if you can keep those uh, moisture and temp temperature levels even, um, that helps the plants a lot too. But definitely mulch to keep the, uh, the weeds down. Um, and that means that's one less chore that you have to do. I mean, some weeds are going to get through, but you're going to keep the majority of them down. So that, that's like um, several inches of um, an organic mulch. And um, I like straw or shredded leaves for the vegetable mm -hmm. garden because they're easy to move around when you need to. Um, but really any organic mulch that you can get your hands on is, is going to be good. Yeah, like so wood chips or um, a layer of newspaper under that. And I've even seen a couple of community gardeners in their main aisle, you know, between their beds, will put down an old carpet remnant piece. Uh -huh. um, and that's purely to keep weeds down. It's right. Not, right. That's not a mulch. That's not an amendment to the soil. That's just, you know, you're not going to come through here, weeds. Right, right. And that's that's fine for pathways. Yeah, I wouldn't put your old carpet right next to your vegetable plants. Mm -mm. But um, no. But if you've got a pathway, sure, mm -hmm. you know, anything that you can that you can do to, to keep the weeds down, um, that's very useful. Yeah. And um, wood chips work. I, I find them a little bit annoying in a vegetable garden because, again, mm -hmm. sometimes you want to be able to move the mulch around and those are difficult to move. And if they're fresh wood chips, like the arborist wood chips that you would get from the, the, the tree companies, um, I mean, those can be great as they break down for your soil. Um, but you want to be a little bit careful about digging them into the soil, which you might do accidentally while you're, um, you know, planting new plants, something like that, um, because then their breaking down process may um, steal some nitrogen from your soil that your plants would rather have. Um, so keep them on the surface. That's fine. Yeah. So if you can rake them back, then plant and then put them back in place, uh -huh. that that would be one option. And I would say that would be for something that might be tall growing, um, obviously not for your greens or, or smaller things. Right. If you have something that you're putting in and it's going to be there all season, then mm -hmm. yeah, you can use whatever, whatever mulch um, because you're not going to be moving it. And some other beat the heat tricks, uh, of course, are go super early in the day, go go late, you know, even though the humidity is still probably pretty high at that point. Um, I find those neck cooling cloths to be, you know, great, especially when you're out there for any time in the heat. Don't forget to bring water with you. Yes. Absolutely. Bring lots of water and make sure you remember to drink it. It's very easy to get dehydrated in, in the summer heat. And usually if you're in a community garden or, you know, somewhere else, you, you don't want to go back and forth too much. So you want that water right with you. Right. Yes. And it's not a bad idea to put it in the freezer 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> for yep. an hour beforehand. And then once it starts to melt, then it's still cold for you. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And then, um, you know, when you get home, um, make sure that you have some more water afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. And um, or even, you know, something that's frozen. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of popsicles. <laughs> that's always a nice treat after gardening. Yes. <laughs> and, and my big thing, of course, is always wear a hat and yes. or an umbrella. So any old umbrella you have can be a sunshade. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, but wear, wearing a hat is really good and put on the sunscreen. Protect mm-hmm. yourself. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it might still feel kind of like a chore, but, you know, you've got to get out there. And that's, you know, 90% of gardening is just showing up, right? Yes, you do have to show up. I mean, once you've planted the garden, uh, you have kind of made a commitment. Um, and that's particularly true in a community garden um, because you have a commitment to your fellow gardeners there. Um, if you let your plot go to rack and ruin, then it's going to affect other people because the bugs are going to move on to somebody else's plot and the weeds are going to go to seed and seed in somebody else's plot. So that is particularly important. Yes, but even in your own backyard, you know, you've you've made a commitment to it, so you do need to show up. Um, but you can arrange things so that it is a little easier for you. I think... Um, being in the garden regularly, even if it's for a very short time, it, it helps. Um, I try to arrange my gardening so that I'm doing it in, you know, maybe um, 15 minutes, half an hour, just doing a few tasks that need to be done, uh, but then coming back as soon as I'm able to, to do a few more tasks. Um, that's much better than spending hours and getting absolutely exhausted. And then you you just kind of hate your garden then. <laughs> That's not a good idea. You shouldn't hate your garden. Um, it should be your refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the, uh, one of the other uh, mantras that I say to people is um, 365 days a year of gardening. And I don't mean you have to be in your garden every day, especially in the middle of the winter. But you need to be thinking about your garden all year round. And there are tasks that it is better to get done in the cooler weather, um, in the um, the spring, the fall, even the winter, since we often have fairly warm days in the winter. If you've got something that you need to do in your garden that is um, heavy labor, you don't want to be doing that in the middle of the summer. So don't start thinking about gardening. You know, it's it's April and you suddenly say, oh, I should plant a garden. You need to be thinking about that earlier so that any work you have to do um, to prepare the soil is done ahead of time. If you have to build a fence against the deer, that's something that um, you don't want to be um, doing in the middle of the summer. Um, anything that is um, that is heavier work try to get it done. And the winter is also for planning. That's that's the time that you want to be thinking about what am I going to plant? Where am I going to plant it? Um, and if, I'm, if I have a problem with this plant, how am I going to solve it? Because if you learn about the plants ahead of time, then uh, you have a better idea of what problems to look out for, and it doesn't take you by surprise. And I would say that's really true to break down things into small chores like today I'm just going to go and harvest and yes. then another day I might do a little weeding and watering but I'm not trying to tackle everything in a three-hour session because yes. yeah 
I'm not going to be too happy. And then trying to do things on the off season as much as possible is also a great tip because yeah, spring overwhelm is real. <laughs> and, and also is that late summer, which is why we're talking now, that harvest overwhelm where you're like, I can't process it. I don't know what to do with it. My my fridge is full. I can't right. even keep up with these cherry tomatoes. I've been giving them I away. I never want to see right. another zucchini in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when it gets to that point, um, do you have any advice to people in the harvest season of how to keep up? Okay. Well, um, there are uh, lots of things that you can do, of course, to um, process the vegetables. And I would say always factor in the time for dealing with the vegetables in your kitchen. What you do in your kitchen is part of gardening. So make sure that you put some time on your schedule for that as well. Um, so, you know, you might be preserving the vegetables in some way. You might be cooking up some extra meals something like that. Um, if it's really too overwhelming, um, consider donating the produce. Um, there are lots of organizations fighting against hunger that will accept fresh produce. And um, they're always really glad to have it because um, the people who depend on those organizations for food, um, you know, they get tired of the um, the, the canned food all the time. Um, having some fresh vegetables is really a treat. Um, so uh, there are um, there are lots of places where you could take your your um, produce. Um, there is a um, relatively new organization um, here in Montgomery County uh, called Harvest Share, which um, a friend of mine, Kat Khan, founded last year. And it's a way that um, home gardeners and community gardeners can get their produce um, to organizations um, who can uh, give it out to people who need it. Um, so um, uh, if you look up harvestsharemd.org, um, find out what they're doing and um, maybe find out if there's a place that you can donate your produce. Yeah, I do that. And I go to our local soup kitchen and drop things off in person sometimes. But I've lately just been going on the buy nothing lists on mm -hmm. Facebook pages and just offering produce there to neighbors. Yeah, that that is great, too. Yeah. And that makes it so much easier because I'm like, I'm picking pints of cherry tomatoes, say, or, or your extra zucchinis, and they are wanted. They will be picked up the next day. That's right. Yes. Yes. There's always somebody who, who does want them. Yes. And that, um, that tip you shared earlier about partnering um, with a friend to, you know, some of you, one of you grows one thing and one grows another thing. Um, and then you're always glad to see how, when they bring those zucchini over because you're not growing your own zucchini. Very true. Yeah. And when you're not having to put the work into all of it, just a little bit of it, it's so much more rewarding. Yes. It's really a treat then. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something we have to remember about um, growing food. It, it really should be um, a treat. Um, there's always that wonderful point um, for me in the summer when I realize that I've served dinner and all the vegetables are ones that I grew myself. And then I realize I look back at the week and I say, wow, almost all the vegetables I served this week, I grew myself. Um, and so, you know, that that's a wonderful feeling. But even if it's only every once in a while that you're able to um, serve something that you grew yourself, that's just it's such an accomplishment and it really makes you feel so good. 
So that's I, I want everybody to have that feeling is why I'm, uh, you know, so passionate about um, sharing uh, the gospel of vegetable gardening. <laughs> and it helps that you actually like what you grow. So I think that's one of the main rules that yes. I would say to beginning gardeners is don't grow it if you don't like it. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I grew beets one year. I don't like to eat beets, but I just did it for the experience <laughs> to say yeah. I grew beets. And now you've done it. And I've done it and I'm not doing it again. But if you love beets, grow beets. If yeah, you don't yeah. like tomatoes, don't grow tomatoes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no reason that anybody should have to grow anything that they don't want to eat. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm always surprised because I'll talk to people and I'm like, why aren't you eating such and such in your plot? And they're like, ah, I don't like it that much, but I just grew it. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a waste of space in your plot. Grow more of what you like. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Sometimes people think, well, I should grow kale because it's so nutritious. Mm -hmm. um, and But then, yeah, if you do that one season and you find that you didn't eat any of it, then yeah, don't grow it next year. <laughs> it's not important. It's not necessary. No, kale for me is a trap crop. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> for other ways that people get discouraged for gardening, I would think we talked about eggplant being one of those difficult things to grow here in the mid-Atlantic, particularly but also members of the brassica family and corn. Those are uh -huh. two things that I think people get discouraged because they want that huge head of broccoli or cauliflower, or they want those big ears of corn. And it, both of those things, it's just going to be tough, whether you're an experienced or beginner gardener. Right. Yes. Yeah. The, um, so the, the brassica plants, the cabbage family plants um, in general can be a little challenging to grow. Um, I mean, there are so many insect pests that go after them. Um, so my top tip with, with those is, again, to go for the floating row cover over those plants as soon as you put them in, and that will keep the insects off of them. Um, and that really makes a huge difference. Um, but then if you're trying something like broccoli, yeah, it can be difficult to get it um, through to the point where it's going to make a head. Um, we have very um, changeable weather. And... Um, Sometimes it can be very cold in the spring for a while, and then all of a sudden it's hot. And that's when the broccoli decides to bolt, to go to flower without you know, going through the stage of making you a nice head of broccoli, um, because it's being challenged by the weather. It's being stressed. Um, and so it's just going to go straight to seed production. Um, and so um, there are many other plants in that family that are actually easier to grow. And I, I really encourage people to... Um, look at the, the Asian greens that are out there, because um, a lot of them, they grow quite fast and they're very delicious. Um, and some of them are very heat tolerant, so they will keep going longer into the summer. So um, definitely explore um, that section of the, of the seed catalog and see if there's something that, that sounds like you'd like to grow it. Yeah, I think expanding your plant palette is a great thing and especially if you know that this is going to be difficult going into it and lower your expectations yes <laughs> like what you see at the whole foods or at the farmer's market might not be what what you're going to get but you're still going to get something out of it and it might not be beautiful but it'll probably still be tasty yes absolutely and and even the pictures in the seed catalogs sometimes you know that's that's the absolute best that um, that that you might grow, but uh, what you grow is not necessarily going to look quite that good. 
Um, but like you said, yeah, it's still going to be tasty and it's still going to be special because you grew it yourself. Yeah. And I kind of am partial to ugly fruit so, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and vegetables. Like when my carrots come out a little hinky, I think they're, they're just even cuter like that. Yeah. 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 I've had some very interestingly shaped carrots. And over potatoes. The years. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and other things. Yeah. And, and, and tomatoes. I mean, some of the heirloom tomatoes can look pretty ugly, but they are absolutely delicious. I was going to also say that social media has set some high expectations for people. And you might be looking at somebody else's Instagram photos of what they produced. And it's this beautiful basket with a variety of vegetables in it that they gathered from their garden that day. But that's not realistic. That's, you know, the height of heights, what they've been photographing and sharing with you. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you just have to remember um, for yourself, what, what do you put on social media? I mean, it's, it's the best things, right? You know, you're not going to you're not going to put your, um, uh, you know, the part of your garden that's full of weeds. Uh, not going to take a picture of that and, and put it up on Facebook. So. Oh, oh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> And that's like, uh, I'm going to say, help me. <laughs> but yeah, uh, a lot of it is, of course, selling a lifestyle and yes. you know, brand marketing. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt, some of the things you're seeing online. Absolutely. And, and walk around and look at other gardens. And that's a great thing to go and visit your local Master Gardener demonstration gardens. So if you're not near Montgomery County, Maryland, you know, look up your local Master Gardener's and they probably have a demonstration garden by you. And that's a great place to, to learn from and compare. So you can say, oh, well, my potatoes are looking better right now and have less bugs on, on it than theirs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, we, we make all the mistakes so that you can learn from them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we definitely have our share of, um, of pests and, and weeds. But it's usually more realistic setting and even walking around, you know, a community garden or visiting one or taking a farm tour. That's much more realistic um, than going, say, off of social media posts. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say that the one thing that the Derwood Demonstration Garden has that's a real advantage is um, that we've had a chance to build up our soil over many, many years. Um, So that soil is incredibly fertile. Um, and so sometimes when people are starting a garden, they are not starting with terrific soil. And so that that's a reason, um, that people end up getting discouraged, um, is that the soil is, you know, maybe it's very compacted. Um, maybe there's just a a lot of clay in it. Uh, Maybe there's a lot of weed seeds lurking. Um, so taking the time to, um, you know, add compost to your soil over and over again, um, put mulch down on top of it, give it a chance um, to um, build up and get to the point where it's going to um, serve you really well in your garden. That is a terrific point is a lot of it, especially your first two to three years, even in one plot is about building the soil. So you're not going to have that great a harvest. You, you might, get lucky in a few things um, especially like a plant like we mentioned okra and garlic which you know if you have leaner soils might do okay for you but heavy feeders like the nightshade family the peppers and and tomatoes and stuff might not do as well yeah they're gonna look a little scrawny possibly Mm -hmm. yes yes yeah so just to say it's not you (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. That, that's, a, that's a good thing to say uh, <laughs> over and over again. Yes. And, and if you have really challenging soil, um, first of all, if you're going to grow directly in the ground, I always recommend doing a soil test first. Um, and you can look up on um, the, the University of Maryland Extension's um, Home and Garden Information Center website is a great source for all kinds of information. And one of the things they have there is uh, um, information on how to do a soil test and places that you can send that soil sample to be tested. Um, that's very useful for just you know, finding out what your soil might be lacking that you can add to it. Um, and also, if you're gardening in an urban area, it's worth um, doing the extra tests for lead and other toxic materials, because it is possible you've got something lurking in your soil that you don't want to plant in. Um, but if you have a challenging soil um, and you don't want to go to the trouble of building it up over years, um, building a raised bed is really a great way to go. Um, because that, that lifts your gardening up above the soil level and it allows you to um, bring in the soil that you want um, to grow your plants in. And that soil is not going to get compacted because you're not going to be walking on it. Um, so it's, uh, that, that is um, a good shortcut for people when they're starting out. Of course, it's a little more expensive, but um, it's, it's definitely, um, it'll give you a head start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say it's almost cheating, but it's not. No, it's not <laughs> cheating. <laughs> well, no, if you've ever built a raised bed yourself, then <laughs> no, it's, it's not, it's no, not cheating. Not yes. All. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Particularly if it's not on flat ground. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. We went through that. I have a raised bed in my community garden plot because um, the, um, the edge of it was, I think, getting compacted by the mower going past in the grassy area that's next to it. And so nothing ever grew well there. So we decided to build a raised bed. But boy, my husband and I got out there and struggling with the um, with the level and trying to put stuff underneath the boards to level everything. And yeah, it's a lot of work, <laughs> but it's very worthwhile. It's been very productive. Yeah, that's a great tip because trying to build or even place containers on an unlevel surface is not the easiest. Mm -hmm. And of course, rain runs downhill. Yes, yes, which is another reason to cover your soil, too, mm -hmm. because um, if, if you have a sloped garden and you're having problems with runoff, I mean, these heavy rains that we get these days, you know, they can make rivers through um, a garden patch and um, they can, you know, excavate little, um, little trenches. <laughs> um, and um, if you can um, cover your soil with mulch, that actually slows down that rainfall. Um, also covering your soil with plants helps too, but any place you have bare soil, there should be something on top of it. Yeah. And where my plot is in my community garden, um, I'm a little bit uphill and it just makes all the wood chips in our pathways kind of float down to the bottom. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, yep, yep. so it's a never ending struggle of, of covering the pathways with new wood chips all yes. the time. Yeah, we have the same issue in, in my community garden. Yes, we, we have we have basically a valley and I'm almost in the, the bottom of the valley. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're the accumulation of the wood chips. Down yeah, there. yeah. There, there's like one <laughs> plot that's below me that, that accumulates. But um, yeah, yeah, they do. They do enter my plot. Yes. <laughs> and so for any gardener who is out there about to throw down their gloves and their trowel, any final advice about not giving up? Well, I just 
want to encourage you um, to, to try again. It is always worth trying again. Every season is a little bit different. Um, and I'm afraid that we're going to continue to have weather challenges. That is just um, the nature of our area, for one thing, and also the reality of climate change. But um, every year you learn a little bit more. Um, and so um, you, you can make many, many, many gardening mistakes. Um, as long as you try to learn from each of those mistakes um, and do a little better the next time, then um, thing, things will improve. Um, and so take it a little bit at a time, um, start small and, um, and don't give up. And so true about the weather, Erica, because you know some years it's just a bum year. Uh, yes. Again, don't blame yourself. It was either too wet, too hot, too cold. So there's always next year. It's it's usually all of those things. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's usually all of those and a little bit more. And so for those listeners who want to catch up with you, is the best way to go to the Maryland Grows blog? Yes. Um, so you can go to the uh, Maryland Grows blog. It's, uh, it's a University of Maryland Extension blog. And I do uh, write there once a month. Um, in fact, by the time this podcast airs, I'll have a new post up um, all about the Heirloom Collard Project. So if you want to find out about that, um, check out the blog. And um, you can leave me a comment. Um, I love to get comments. So um, that'd be wonderful. And um, the other thing I want to say um, for the uh, Montgomery County Master Gardeners, I'm co-chair of our speakers group. So if you have a group that wants to have a gardening speaker, um, get in touch with us. Um, you can visit our um, website and find out how to get in touch um, with the speakers group. And um, we can find you someone to, um, at this point, um, come in on a Zoom call with you, <laughs> but eventually, um, hopefully, come to your meeting. Um, and um, yeah, and talk about uh, many, many different aspects of gardening that we have talks on. Great. And then the Maryland Grows blog is marylandgrows.umd.edu. So that would be universitymaryland.edu. Right. And yes. you also have an upcoming talk um, talking about speaking um, that's being hosted by Brookside Gardens, but it's virtual. So it's online. So anybody could sign up for that. That's right. Yes. Yes. So it's next Thursday, the 9th at 730. I mean, sorry, 630. Um, and it, yeah, you can sign up um, uh, through the, um, the Active Montgomery uh, program. You could go to Brookside Gardens um, Facebook page and find the link there or, um, you know, any other way through Brookside Gardens. Okay. And that's September the 9th for yes. anybody who's listening to this in the future. Right. Yeah. <laughs> September the 9th, 2021. Yeah. Yes. If, if it's later than that, you've missed it. But <laughs> yes. And it is um, the, to the topic is growing great fall vegetables. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of information on cool season vegetables and some of those Asian greens you talked about earlier. Yes. Absolutely. And transitioning from the summer into fall. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Erica. Well, thank you for having me, Kathy. This has been a lot of fun.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lycoris plant profile. Lycoris species is also known as naked lady, surprise lily, magic lily, resurrection lily, British soldier, and many other common names. Truth is, they are not lilies at all and are in the amaryllis family. They are native to eastern and southern Asia. Lycoris are gorgeous and a great cup flower, lasting well over a week in a vase. They give off a lovely fragrance to boot. The most common are the pink, Lycoris squamigera, and the red, Lycoris radiata. There are also yellow, white, and mixed color versions. Lycoris grows from a large bulb and can take a few years to recover and bloom after you plant them. So be patient and leave them be to settle in and get flowering. They are an old-fashioned favorite and you will often see them coming up around abandoned home sites. If you are not lucky enough to inherit some as pass-along gifts, you can order them from companies like Brent and Becky's Bulbs. They are hardy to zones 5 through 9 and prefer a sunny to part sun location. Lycoris naturalizes by bulb offsets. They prefer medium moisture and well-drained soils and to be covered with a bit of mulch in winter. In spring, you will see the strappy foliage come up and then quickly die back and disappear. In midsummer, after a good soaking rain, the tall stalks will suddenly shoot up and the flowers will appear without any foliage, hence their colorful nicknames. These are the ultimate set-it-and-forget-it plant. Lycoris, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, first I want to thank our latest listener supporter, Zingfei Kai Pincus. Thank you so much. And over at our community garden plot, we have pulled out the cucumbers as they're no longer producing and also cleared out a whole new section so we can put in our cool season crops, including cilantro, arugula, bok choy, some spinach, and some cherry bell radish. And the tomatoes are still going strong, as are the peppers, and even picking some blackberries still. In my home garden, I'm enjoying the goldenrods. It's that season when all the yellow things are blooming in my garden. So even the black-eyed Susan is hanging in and also some of the related rudbeckias. But mostly it's a goldenrod show and the pollinators are loving it. In the local gardening world, if you're in the DC area, I recommend a native plant sale that's coming up on September 11th, and that is at the Audubon Naturalist Society in Woodend at Chevy Chase, Maryland. And that's again Saturday, September 11th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And that's their annual native plant sale. 
Um, some other upcoming events I recommend are taking place at Homestead Gardens in person and virtually. So one of the in-person events that you can come to is a butterfly workshop and live butterfly release at the Severna Park location on September 12th. There's also the Gisneriad Society's annual show and sale at the Davidsonville location the same weekend, September 10th through 12th. And I am giving an online talk, so anybody, even if you're not in the D.C. area, can sign up for that and attend for free. And that is called Plan and Plant Fall to Spring Edibles. So we're going to talk all about cool season edibles and transitioning over the winter time. And that is taking place on Friday evening, virtually on September 10th at 7 p.m. Happy gardening! Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.